thyself a man and I'll be there for I am when the troubles come and hard times find your way rise and take a stand I am with thee so you can I will calm the storms and shield thee with my hand you are mine forevermore I will love you and adore all your sin is washed away by the blood I shed that day so stand and shoe thyself a man. Shoe thyself a man. Grow in grace as I demand. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in your heart. At work, at home, or play, just obey without delay. Be a light that shines, help others find their way. You are mine forevermore, I will love you and adore. All your sin is washed away by the blood I shed that day. So stand and shoe thyself a man. You are mine forevermore. sin is washed away by the blood I shed that day so stand and shoe thyself a man stand and shoe thyself a man stand and shoe thyself a man All right, we're going to go ahead and get things going here. Oh, there it is. <clears throat> Gentlemen, it's all up-to-dated up there. If we can just pop that on, that'll be good. I forgot to tell them we were using this again. Matter of fact, why don't we pull this down again? Can we do that without that thing going crazy? That'll be good. <clears throat> again, we're talking about great miscalculations and mistakes. Great miscalculations and mistakes. And in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, the Bible says, For... Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Let's see if we're on the right spot here. Oh, yeah, we are. Boy, these guys are good back there, aren't they? <clears throat> All right. We'll see if these guys are in a minute. Oh, oh, they did pretty good there. That was real good. I'd have probably dropped it. You don't realize how much that thing weighs. That thing weighs a ton. All right. First of all, we said that uh, everything in the Word of God is for our learning. And uh, so the Lord gave us that Old Testament, and boy, we learned so much from it. And, uh, it, you know, it may not be written about us in a sense that, you know, it's somebody else's life, it's somebody else's experience, but God says, hey, why don't you learn from someone else's mistakes? Why don't you learn from someone else's miscalculations? Don't learn, don't learn the hard way. Try to learn from some other person's mistakes. And we did. We're trying to. First of all, we said Eve believed Satan's lie, that God was holding back blessing. Uh, we, don't, we don't want to believe that for a minute. God will lie to all of us about that, won't he? God's holding something back. He doesn't want you to enjoy the best things. 
Number two, we talked about Cain. said Cain envied his brother and ultimately blamed him for his circumstances. He would not take responsibility for himself or his actions. And boy, that's an important thing. We've got to start taking responsibility. It's so easy to blame someone, something, uh, even a corporation of possibly even government or the president or somebody. We'll blame somebody for the problems, but usually the biggest problem is the one we're staring at right in the mirror, right? If we'd really be honest. Number three, we said that Lot made the mistake of thinking that he could get close to the world without the world rubbing off on him. He thought he could flirt with sin and still remain spiritual. We saw how that turned out. We saw how he lost his family over it. What a sad situation that was. And again, as we noted, it's so valuable, so, so, so imperative and important that every, every leader, uh, every man, every leader in this place that's... And, and, and listen, if you're, if you're a lady and you're basically the head of your home right now, because there, maybe there's not a man in the home right now, let me tell you something. You've got a responsibility to lead your home. You have a responsibility to lead your home. Don't expect someone else to do it. And uh, make sure you don't let sin. Don't get too close to sin. Don't flirt with sin. It'll cost you and your family. Number four, Abraham grew impatient with God and took matters into his own hands. And so we saw that with the situation with Hagar and uh, so forth. And then number five, we said Aaron miscalculated how quickly he could get away from God. And he made the mistake of turning to idols. Wasn't that amazing? Moses goes up in the mount 40 days later. Aaron, here he is, brother to Moses, supposed to be the, the spiritual giant, you know, or leader, so to speak. Ultimately, the priesthood of Aaron, Arianic priesthood, the whole deal. But here he is creating or molding a golden calf. Amazing, isn't it? 40 days, 40 days later. That's amazing to me. But nonetheless, he made that mistake, and he just said, man, I got away from God so fast. And you know what? You and I can get away from God pretty fast. Let's, let's, let's really be careful with that. Uh, we're going to see that maybe a little bit more here. Korah, in his pride, made the mistake of opposing God's man. We saw that was a tremendous mistake. It ultimately cost a number of people their lives, and ultimately over 14,000 in Israel lost their lives as a result of this whole mess. It was a, it was a real mess. Okay, so today we pick up where we left off, and we're going to start with Moses tonight, and we're going to look at Moses, and we're going to consider a situation of mistake and miscalculation, all right? And so, before we do that, let's go ahead and uh, have a quick word of prayer. Let's do that. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the evening, for the opportunity that we have to gather here tonight. Lord, these are very simple lessons. There's nothing very complicated about it. Uh, one might think it's more of a Sunday school lesson than a church service, but Lord, I think that sometimes we just need to learn basic principles. Father, if we could apply truth in our life, it'd be, we'd find that we have wisdom. Knowledge isn't the issue. Lord, sometimes we have knowledge, but if the knowledge is not being applied properly, then we lack wisdom. Help us, Father, to apply the knowledge that we have. Correct application of knowledge is wisdom, and Lord, we want that tonight. Help us, Lord, to do a good job of applying truth to our lives and to our families' lives. Speak to us now through these simple examples that you've left us. May we not take them lightly. May we truly be very serious about them as we view them. May we consider our own hearts, our own lives, and our own destiny. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so <clears throat> Moses in Numbers chapter 20. If we'd turn there, please. Numbers chapter 20. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. Again, I'll ask some people to help me with the reading, if you would. That'd be good. Read out of our King James Bibles. We love our Bibles. Amen. Numbers <coughs> chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. All right, who's there uh, that will read the first uh, 1 through 12? We'll give somebody the first uh, six verses. Who will do the first six verses here? Anybody? I guess not. 
All right, yeah, Brother Joaquin, very good. Appreciate you jumping up there and taking care of that. And then if there's someone else that would read the, the 7 through 12 then. So read 7 through 12 over there, Mark. You got your hand up as well. Good, good. Glad to see the singles are once again active in the church. Very good. Glad we have our singles or we would never have gotten through this passage. All right, go ahead. Stand and read that, would you please? Moses was the meekest man on earth. That's quiet strength. Quiet strength. Doesn't mean weakness, it's quiet strength. He wasn't a big mouth. He didn't have to scream and yell to get his way. That wasn't Moses' deal. Moses was a strong man. He had tremendous convictions. He was very strict. He was very stern in some areas. He didn't give in. He didn't compromise. However, he wasn't going around, hey, look at these stripes. I'm the boss around here. No, he was a meek man. Very, you'd have thought maybe even kind of timid and quiet even probably if you'd have met him. But the fact is, is he was a very powerful man because he had God on his side. Moses was the meekest man on earth, but he became very angry and it cost him the promised land. The children of Israel had wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. We know that. The first time this transpired and took place, something very similar, they were thirsty for water, they were in need of drink. It was 37 years prior to the account that we just read. It's back in Exodus chapter 17. And we find Moses there uh, being told by God to strike the rock. He strikes the rock with his rod, his rod, and water springs forth. And the people are, the needs met. The people drink, they're fine. Now, 37 years later, almost 40 years later, here we are again in the wilderness. And this time, they're facing the same exact dilemma. They're thirsty again. They need water. And they don't know where to turn. Moses has endured the murmuring and the complaining of God's people for 40 years now. He's been listening to it every, at every turn. And uh, here he is now, 
faced with another situation where God says this time, listen, I don't want you to strike the rock. Instead, I want you to speak to the rock. And, and Moses, of course, dealing with this rebellious people over time, became somewhat frustrated now. He gets so upset that he takes the rod of Aaron, takes the rod of Aaron, and he smotes the rock twice. Not just once, but twice. Someone says, why did he do that? Well, i got to believe he's pretty frustrated, first of all. But he's pretty angry then. I mean, he was told not to strike. He was told to speak to it, but he whacks it twice. So he's pretty upset with the people of God. The Bible says in Numbers 20, 10, and 11, Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock, and he said unto them, Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock? Moses lifted up his hand, and with the, his rod, he smote the rock twice, and the water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their beasts also. Now, there's a little thought here. Well, I don't want to go there. I might be getting ahead of myself. God would go on to tell Moses, of course, that his actions would cost him the privilege of leading the children of God into the promised land. That's big time. I mean, here's Moses. He spends the first 40 years of his life in Egypt under the tutelage of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's daughter and some of the great teachers of Egypt. He spends the next 40 years of his life learning a lesson on the backside of the desert. And then at the age of 80, God speaks to him through a burning bush and says, Guess what? You're going to serve me now. And boy, he goes back to Egypt and he delivers the people of God. And for 40 years, he wanders in the wilderness with the people of God because of their unbelief, not his. So he's leading a people through the wilderness, enduring the, the death march every single day. Hundreds and thousands of people dying daily. It's interesting to note that when, when uh, Miriam dies at the beginning of the chapter, there's, there's no mourning, there's no, there's no lamenting that takes place, there's no mention of a burial or anything. Then again, why would there be? There are thousands dying all the time. And that is exactly what the children of Israel endured for 40 years in the wilderness as an entire generation after generation died. Everyone over the age of 20 died in the wilderness. You need to understand that. Every person that was 60, every person that was 55 or 50, every person 40, 45, 40, 30, 35, every person that was 21 years old, 22, 23, the day that they rebelled against God and would not go into the promised land, died in the wilderness over those 40 years. Think about it, if you would, with me for a moment. Coming out of Egypt, it's estimated that there were at least 2 million, million, million Israelites They all died in 40 years. Can you imagine if our church was a 2 million member church over the next 40 years, how many deaths would that be? It's an amazing number. I didn't even think to add it up till just in my head now, but the fact is, is it would be, I really can't tell you that. But anyway, I, I, you thought I could for me. You're like, wow, he's got special abilities in mathematics. He could have been a professor. No, I have no idea what it would have been. But I guarantee you it's a higher number than any of us would imagine. Two million over the course of 40 years. How many a day were dying? I mean hundreds. Folks, listen to me. Moses wasn't the reason they were in that wilderness. The people were. And now for 40 years, they're whining and complaining and murmuring. 
And after 40 years, here they are. We need water. I wish we'd have just died. Oh, God, just come and brought us up. Nobody wants to die. Hey, you want to die? Please kill us out here. No, that they didn't mean it. They're just whining and complaining. And Moses says, fine. Take that rod. And he says, here now, ye rebels. Must we fetch water out of this rock? And he lifted up his hand and smote that rock twice. The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron, because ye believed me not, to sanctify me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore ye shall not bring this congregation unto the land which I have given them. <clears throat> at first glance, it would seem to me at least, that that was kind of a, a pretty brutal punishment for just striking a rock twice. Okay, so he's told to talk to it, all right, that's fine. You just hit it a couple times, God. Come on. I mean, everybody gets angry, right? Everybody gets upset. Everybody loses their temper, right? That's all right, right? Well, you got to understand there's a few things going on. First of all, anytime we disobey God, it's an act of unbelief. Now, remember, he was told to speak to the rock. He wasn't told to strike the rock. <clears throat> so instead of obeying God, he disobeys God. In this case, both Moses and Aaron did not believe God. The Bible made it very clear they didn't. He said because of unbelief. He said you're not going to be able to lead them in there. Matter of fact, they did not sanctify the Lord, it says. Matter of fact, they took credit for it themselves. They said, hear ye now, rebels, must we fetch you water? I thought last time I checked it was his water, the rock's water. I thought it was God that was going to bring forth the water, not Moses, not Aaron. Although he would, they were instruments to bring it about, they were not the real ones bringing forth the water. And yet they were taking credit for the miracle. We got to do this for you. But there's a greater issue and a greater truth to be revealed here. Take a closer look. Don't you love that little thing there? That's cool, isn't it? I saw it. I said, I got to put it in there. <clears throat> the rock is a type of Christ. Take your Bible. Well, you don't need to. Right there it is, right in front of you. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1 through 4. Moreover, moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. You know, that rock was a type of Christ. See, when Moses struck the rock, he wasn't just striking a rock, he was striking Christ. The rock, or Christ, was to be smitten how many times? Once. Christ suffered and died for sin once. Never a second time. Never. And remember in Exodus 17, the first time they were in need of, of water and of, of their needs being met, he said, you strike that rock. And he struck the rock. And sure enough, water burst forth and the people were satisfied. This time, you speak to the rock, Moses. Romans 6, 9 and 10 says, Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. 
but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Hebrews 9, 26, For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 9.28 says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Moses is extremely frustrated. Moses is bent out of shape. He's upset with the people of God. And in the midst of his anger, he loses sight of God's command. And he takes matters into his own hands. What was so upsetting to God? Yes, the anger was a problem. As we're going to find, God deals and addresses that issue often in the Word. But Christ, the rock, that rock was a type. And when he struck that rock the second time, he struck that rock twice after it had already been struck before, it was as though he's placing Christ back on that cross. And the fact is, is that Christ only needs to die one time. And may I say, our salvation is secure after one sacrifice. And as a result of that, there needs to be only one day of salvation, not two. But let's get back to that anger for a minute. James 1, 19 and 20 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. <clears throat> you and I can justify our, our anger every time. You know, you had to be there. You just don't understand. But see, this has been going on a long time. Right? If you had to live with him or her, you'd know why I lose my temper. Okay? Absolutely. We, we do, don't we? We hear those things all the time. And you know what? Just because we're Christians doesn't mean that we don't have this whole flesh that we deal with on a regular basis. And as a result of that, we are tempted, often even moved to anger. And how we deal with that temptation, how we Address that issue determines often a number of things. Moses' mistake was that he let his anger get the best of him. And he miscalculated how far his anger would take him. If you'd have said to Moses, listen, um, will, you dis will you blatantly rebel and disobey God? Um, no. No. Why would I ever think or dream of doing so? And yet in the heat of his anger... He totally disregarded God's law and God's word. Totally disregarded it. He lost sight of God's word. He lost sight of God. And he rebelled against God and he did it. And he probably said, boy, it sure felt good. How's it feeling now, Moses? As you're sitting on top of Mount Pisgah. And you're looking into the promised land that you are not permitted to lead the people of God into. How does it feel after giving 40 years of your life to that rebellious people and having to admit to yourself it was all your fault for getting angry at them, even though they drove you to it? Yes, you still gave into it. You lost sight of God. You lost sight of His Word. You lost sight of everything that God intended. And now, now here you are watching or looking into the land not being permitted to enter yourself. 
Was it worth it, Moses? I wonder today, would Moses say it was worth losing his temper that day? Of course not. You know what? There's not one of us in this room today, after we've really lost our temper, said something that we shouldn't have said, did something we shouldn't have done, reacted in a way that is anything but Christ-like. Not one of us would say, boy, I'm sure glad I did that. It's worth it all. We wouldn't say that. Because if we said that, obviously we're not saved because the Holy Spirit would never let us rest. And furthermore, as I've mentioned to a number of people through the years, probably the worst part that I found in that situation is having to go back and apologize later. I hated having to do that when I was, I remember doing that all the time when I was younger. And I finally got sick and tired of having to tell people I'm sorry and, and trying to figure out how, okay, what I said may have been right, but how I said it was definitely wrong. You ever been there? You can think you're right all day long, but that doesn't make it right. You know what? I've never regretted holding my tongue. I've only regretted opening my mouth. And you know what? That's exactly what poor Moses did that day. He lost his temper. He lost his cool. And when he did, it got the best of him, and he miscalculated how far his anger would take him. He never dreamed he'd end up where he did. Hey, listen, there are people today sitting in prison never dreamed their anger would take them as far as it did. I guarantee you, Brother Combs and, and, and uh, Brother Fred both could tell you stories of people who are just normal Joes, normal gals, just like we are, who find themselves in a bad situation because they lost their temper. Proverbs 25, 28 says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that's broken down and without walls. Wow. Isn't that a picture? A city burnt down, broken down. That's what we are when we can't control our mouth, we can't control our temper, we can't control our emotions. Isn't that a sad situation? And that's exactly what Moses dealt with. And so, by the way, what are we trying to learn? Well, his mistake was that he let his anger get the best of him. He miscalculated how far his anger would take him. A number of other things we could learn from that passage. We mentioned a few things along the way. But as a principle that I think we need to maintain and a principle we need to be very aware of all the time is we better be very aware of our temper because it will take us further than we ever dreamed it would and we will definitely regret it later. Then we come to Samson in Judges chapter 16. Who will read verses 4 through 6 for me? Judges chapter 16, verses 4 through 6. Who did? I need some adults, some men. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm ready to let the ladies read too because we don't have men. Yeah, go ahead. You say, that was pretty harsh. Whatever. Don't you, don't you ladies like it when your husbands step up and spiritually take the lead? Don't you like it? How many ladies like when your husbands actually step up and take the lead? Okay, well, isn't that about time we start doing that in church too? If we're not going to do it here, I know we're not doing it at home. Okay? You say, boy, that's pretty harsh. Hey, remember, it's like my singles class, so I'm treating you like singles today. I'm trying to help you today, okay? Go ahead, brother. I appreciate you standing up. Go ahead. Four through six.
Isn't that wonderful? Thank you, brother. Well, what a nice young lady. She's really something special, isn't she? Samson obviously thought so. How stupid are men? Guys, how stupid are we? Absolutely, brother. You hit the nail on the head. When it comes to women, we're about as dense as rocks. It ain't no lie. And you know what? You women know that because you can manipulate us if you really try hard enough. You know it. You're like, yeah, I got him wrapped. I know exactly what buttons to push if I want him to get him to do something for me or if I want him to get upset with me or whatever. I can, I can push his buttons. Man, you think Delilah couldn't push the buttons? Boy, she was pushing buttons big time. I mean, we're talking about the strong man of the Bible here. And these jokers come to her and say, listen, we want to find a way to take Samson down. Oh, she is, she is something. Every guy in the room is going, I wish I could strangle her. But yet that's the girl that takes so many men down from the local church. But she thinks I'm cute. She thinks I'm so nice and she thinks I'm such a man. I wish my wife looked at me that way. I wish my wife would touch me that way. We're ignorant, we're stupid. You say you're being pretty plain today. Absolutely I am. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, we better be real careful. You know, it's funny how everything else looks so green on the other side of the fence. Come on. Old Delilah, she's about, you know, as wicked as they come, but old Samson, as strong as he is, is about a few rocks loose in his head. Go ahead and read, if you would, 15 to 21 over here. Yep, go ahead. Go ahead and read it, would you please? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I can't hardly stop. I just can't take it. Go ahead. All right. You two young men come up here real quick. Stand right up here. There's two things that will get these two guys out of church faster than anything else. One, a job a job they don't really have to have to make it. 
and they'll work Wednesdays and Sundays, even though they don't need to. Okay? Because money will become important to them. But probably even more, more likely, more likely, is a girl. Now, look, these guys look sharp. And they are sharp young men. But you know what? Samson was as sharp as any one of you guys. And a little stronger. Maybe not much, but a little bit. But let me tell you something. Right there, right there, is accidents waiting to happen. The devil knows exactly how to mess up their minds and their lives. And he'll use a woman to do it. Some little girl will shake her little dress or something, and they'll say, woo-hoo. Follow right out the door of the church, right into the world. Now listen, that's what happens. You know what? You parents better understand something, too. You have a responsibility for your boys and your girls to keep them chaste, keep them clean, to do everything you possibly can to ensure that they do not have the freedom to mess up on your watch. They're going to mess up. They're going to have to sneak out without you knowing it. They're going to mess up. They're going to have to break the binding chains that you've put on them and by ways of rules and structure. They're going to have to physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually rebel against your authority. Someone says, yeah, but you don't drive your kids to do that. You don't have to drive them to anything. Use some common sense. Be wise. Set up biblical standards that you can support from the Word of God and say, listen, this is what we do not do. This is what we do do. These are the things that are appropriate. These are things that are inappropriate. Inappropriate. And that's what you just have to be, use some common sense. You don't have to be an, uh, you know, crazy about it. You can just simply be stern, straightforward, and loving. And you know what, another thing, it'd do you good maybe to talk to your kids every once in a while. You know, to actually know what's going on in their lives. To actually listen to them. That's helpful too. And you know, it, it's not easy raising kids today. It's never been easy. But I don't know, I think maybe it's getting more complicated. Because they think when they turn 12 that they're grown up. It used to be they turned 16, they thought they were grown up. Then it was 14, now I think it's 12. And unfortunately today, we make the mistake as parents of letting them act like they're teenagers when they're still 11, 12, and 13. We say, well, 13's a teenager. Don't act, let them act like a 16-year-old then. You know, and then we let our 15 and 16-year-olds act like they're 20 years old and out of school. Listen, we've got to be careful, folks. You say, boy, that's pretty strict. That's old-fashioned. Call it whatever you want. But let me tell you something. Their lives are on the line. Amen. And I'd want to know who they're talking to. I want to know who they're with. I mean, just, you ought to know what's going on in the lives of your kids. Because there's a Delilah waiting around the corner to steal his heart. There's a Delilah around the corner to steal his heart. And young men, the one thing probably that will get you more than anything else is lust of the flesh and a woman. You better be careful. I don't want to see you as a casualty, a fatality, or as an illustration of the message one day. I want to see you standing tall for Jesus Christ. But you better keep your minds, your hearts fixed on the Lord. Because if you don't, you'll follow some skirt walking out the church. Be careful. Have a seat, guys. Appreciate your help. They're like, thanks for bringing us up here. <laughs> That's what happened to him. I mean, here's Samson. He had taken some little steps. Little steps, mind you. This is God's strong man. Little steps away from God, which eventually led him into what? Greater sin. We've seen that before, haven't we? He now found himself in an unscriptural relationship with a woman who was anything but chaste or moral. You never knew anybody in church like that, have you? That ended up in an immoral relationship, but they were really good, godly people, it seemed like. But next thing you know, they're doing things they shouldn't be doing. And you're like, what's going on? Little by little, 
Delilah asked the secret of his great strength. And at first, Samson, get this, this is what I think is funny. You say, how do you know this? I don't know. The Lord, I think, just told me this. I don't know. But I think it's kind of human nature. So I don't think God had to tell me this. I think I know from my own experience a little bit. He believes he's toying with Delilah now. She's, oh, I love you. And won't you tell me the secret of your strength? <laughs> you, I love you. We need no secrets in this family, even though we're not married and we're acting like we are. Oh, did I say that? I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to. That's not politically correct. <laughs> and what's he do? He thinks he's messing with her. Well, <laughs> bind me with seven green wisps that were never dried. Okay. And then he sits there and he hugs on his girl and they do immoral things together because he's playing games and he's getting what he wants. So he's happy. He's just stringing her along. Sure enough, she does it. She binds him. Philistines be upon me. <laughs> he wakes up. <laughs> Goes buck wild. He's going, I mean, Bruce Lee on him. Now, now it, you know, now, now, let me ask you, fellas. Now, come on, let's think this through for a minute. If he's not messing with her, if he's not toying with her, why does he take the next one? Why does he do it again? Because she invited people to come and accost him, to throw him into jail, to hurt him and harm him. But no, that's all right. That's funny. <laughs> Delilah, she thinks that she's got me, but instead I'm toying with her. <laughs> I'm getting what I want. I don't care if I have to beat up some guys every night for it. Who cares? I mean, he's really, this guy is out there. I mean, he's so full of himself right now. He thinks he's toying with her, messing with her. If they'd bind me with fast with new ropes that never were occupied. So then all of a sudden she binds him, of course. He, you know, you can almost see him. He's like half asleep. He's not really asleep, and she's binding him. He's like, <laughs> she's so stupid. Rips him off, man, goes buck wild on them dudes. And then she's like, oh. You've lied to me twice. <laughs> oh, if thou weavest seven locks of my head with a web. Are you kidding me? He is toying with this girl. And all along he thinks he's getting what he wants. The problem is, Samson would ultimately share his heart with Delilah, only to have her betray him. Which, how would he not know she was going to betray him? She's been betraying him. So, I like this statement. I'm going to read it because I thought it was so wonderfully written. With, <laughs> I, I, really, I did at first say, with, with his head on her, knee, her, her knees, with his heart in her, whatever. With his heart in her hands, hair on the floor, and the Holy Spirit departed, Samson would arise to battle with the Philistines as before, only to find himself powerless and unprotected. What did he expect? He shared it. He bore his heart with her. See, he's toying with her, but before no, she wore him down. And here he is now, powerless. That's being brought to a piece of bread, as the book of Proverbs talks Amen. about. And gentlemen, that's exactly where we will end up if we abandon, listen to me, our relationship with the Lord, and if we abandon the Word of God, and if we abandon the standards that God identifies the commands of Scripture in this book. People think they can toy with it. They can mess around it. They're going to come out on top. No, they don't. They end up messed up. Judges 16, 20, 21, he said, 
We're almost done. The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. But the Philistines took him and put out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with fetters of brass. And he did grind in the prison house. Here she's cutting his hair off. Now we know she was, he was in his lap, but that was being a little bit more modest and more careful if it's children. That's a children's thing. And here's old Samson. You can't hardly make it out, but boy, he's looking pretty rough there. His eyes are out and all this stuff. It's a pretty rough situation there. Samson made a tremendous mistake. Here it is. He had lost sight of the source of his power. And that source of his power was really God. It wasn't his hair at any time. It was God. His miscalculation, he would go out as before. You say, what do you mean? Well, Samson had permitted sin to creep into his life. His heart and lifestyle had turned worldly, and yet he expected God to bless as he always did. And that's what we do. Do you know what first turns away from God? Before we turn away from church and the word of God and all, our heart. Samson lost sight of the real power source, God himself. Even, and, and when he turned, he, he miscalculated this. He, he kept thinking, oh, it's no big deal. So I've got a, a, a situation with a girl that's anything but moral, but then again, I'm God's strong man. Then again, I'm already, I'm a Sunday school teacher. I'm a pastor. I'm a bus captain. I'm doing all these things for God. Surely God will overlook a few things. He's a gracious God. I'll go out as before and see the power of God. And he wist not. He wist not. He did not know that the Lord was departed from him. He didn't even know it. That's the danger, isn't it? That's the real danger of sin, is that God eventually can leave us and our sin has taken his place. And we don't even know he's gone. And we still think we're right with God. And we'll fight people on that. I go to church and I, 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 I serve the Lord. Who are you to tell me that you're judging me? See, power with God is rooted in holiness. We better never forget that. It's not in your hair. It's not in your looks. It's not in your talent. It's not in your ability. It's in holiness. Hebrews 1.9 says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. When we are filled with sin, there is no room for the Holy Ghost to work in our lives. You know what? The real source, power source of the Christian is holiness because in the end, the Holy Spirit indwells us and the fruit of the Holy Ghost is our greatest asset. What's he say? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. That doesn't happen when there's sin reigning in our life. That happens when we're, there's holiness, purity, cleanness, can't be filled with the Holy Ghost and be filled with sin at the same time. The truth is that holiness is demanded by God for a number of reasons. Here they are. Just going to give you two of them. There's a number of others. It's God demands holiness from us to reflect the character and nature of God before a sinful world. God wants the world to be able to see what holiness, what God looks like, really. We're to be pictures of God. 
We're to be, in a sense, types of Christ, in a sense. We're to be like Jesus. And people ought to be able to see the character and the, 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 the attributes of God in our lives. Someone says, I'm just, a, I'm just a normal church member, or I'm just a Christian. Uh, I don't really have a lot of responsibility. You have the most important responsibility to be Christ-like. doesn't matter what you do in the church. You're to be Christ-like. Just because you're, you say, well, I don't have to be as faithful to church because I'm not in the choir. I don't have to be as faithful in my Bible reading prayer because I'm not a Sunday school teacher. I'm not forced to have to do this because I don't do it. You shouldn't have to be forced to do any of those things. First of all, that ought to be something you feel compelled to do as a result of God dying on Calvary for you. But then you ought to want to be holy and separated and sanctified unto God because the world is watching. Not only that, but it provides God the opportunity to bless and to prosper His children in a number of ways. I want God's blessing in my life. I can't have that as long as sin reigns in my mortal body. And neither can you. And we close. Furthermore, when we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk, please to, and, and, and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. That's what God's goal is. He wants you to abound more and more. He wants you to experience the best things. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. Fornication is, 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 is moral uncleanness. It's an uncleanness. It, it takes on the shape of moral. It takes on the form of all kinds of uncleanness. It's not just, some people say, well, uh, you know, adultery is if, when you have a relationship between somebody single and an, a married person. And fornication is when two single people get together and have a relationship. Well, you know, there's some truth to that. But the fact is, is that fornication can be any uncleanness at all. You've got to understand that. It's not just you having an immoral relationship with someone. You can do that in your mind. You, you can do a lot of things. You can be rebellious and disobedient. You can become a blight in God's eyes because you are talking filthy and nasty. And your, 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 your filthiness. Abstain from fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we have also forewarned you and testify. For God hath not called you unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, in chapter 7, verse 1, he goes on to say, Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Amen. Samson made a tremendous mistake. He lost sight of the source of his power, God. His miscalculation, he would go out as before. Warning, little sin can be very dangerous to your soul. That looks almost like a what? Grain of a mustard seed, doesn't it? Faith and sin are similar and that it only takes a little. Either way, it takes a little. I want to encourage you tonight. Let's be careful. As we think about, about Moses, as we think about our, our, our buddy Samson, well, let's, let's learn some lessons tonight. Let's learn some lessons and apply those lessons. And in the end, we'll be better for it. Father, we come to you. Thank you again for this time together. Lord, we are a needy people. And Lord, over these next minutes, we still are going to open up the altar for invitation, but Lord, we pray that things would move quickly, smoothly. Lord, if you're speaking to hearts today, we're just going to get right to it. If you would all stand, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed. The music's playing. You come if the Lord spoke to your heart about something. Well, we got to be holy today.